Mary Oliver's poem entitled, The Summer Day. Who made the world? Who made the swan, and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean. The one who has flung herself out of the grass. The one who is eating sugar out of my hand. Who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down. Who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open, and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down. Into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass. How to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields. Which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last, and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do? With your one wild and precious life? Mary Oliver. Hey everyone, thank you so much for having me today on Medal of Honor podcast. I'm fired up to be here. My name is Liz O'Brien. Uh, I'm CEO of Freedom Learning Group, uh, a content curriculum company that has a fantastic social mission of putting veterans and military spouses to work through upskilling. Um, and I've been part of the military community for about 15 years now. Um, going back to, gosh, I, I guess, uh, oh, maybe 2003 when I was coaching college basketball at West Point. Uh, and I happened to meet my, my partner there, uh, who was then in the army and still is in the army, um, and began our, our journey from there. So, um, he was moving to Hawaii and, oh, initially he was moving to Missouri and I declined that opportunity to move, to move to Missouri. Uh, and then when he came back and said, I'm moving to Hawaii, I thought, well, now Hawaii might not be a bad place to coach college basketball and jumped on a plane and, uh, off I went. Uh, and that's really where I, I had my eye opening experience about, um, challenges military spouses experience, uh, during multiple moves and employment, um, and how we as military families really struggle to achieve dual income status that places us on an equitable level with our other American families. Um, and it's where I began my journey into workforce development and creating opportunities for military spouses and veterans. He is probably been in a, almost 18 years now. Did have friends stationed there. So it was like, hey, I'm going to come and visit you. So this is where you find out which families and friends are truly dedicated to being family members and friends. Everybody comes to Hawaii. We then moved to um, Monterey, California. Everybody came there. Then we went to, oh, oh gosh, where we go? Uh, Kansas and Kentucky. Nobody came to visit us there except my sister. So that's where we found out <laughs> who really cares. And then we went to Germany and D.C. So lots of visitors in Germany, some in D.C. But that Kansas, Kentucky stint. That's where we were able to differentiate who was in it to love us. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, you know, I was stationed at Fort Knox, Kentucky twice. And then I had a contracting job that took me to Fort Knox for two years. And so those people who did not go visit you in Kentucky, um, I hate to say this, but I don't blame them. I wouldn't want to visit there <laughs> if I didn't have to. Yeah. Well, so, you know, the best part about the military is you make great friends wherever you go. So whether it was Fort Knox, Kentucky, or Leavenworth, Kansas, uh, or Hawaii, we came out of it with, with some fantastic relationships. The bond in the military community, so. Yeah, it's special. It is what it it's is. unique. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and I think it's a privilege, right? It's something that not all Americans get to um, experience. And so I think it's fantastic. Also, anytime we can wrap our arms around civilians in our communities that we're moving through and uh, establish great relationships and help bridge that military civilian divide that exists um, really just uh, helps establish a stronger community overall. Uh, and then helps those folks understand what what are what challenges we're we're experiencing, uh, whether you're military child, uh, service member, uh, partner, or spouse. So, what are some of those challenges that you have experienced as a spouse? Um, yeah, so I I would say there's certainly um, unique challenges that all partners of service members experience uh, on any given day. Um, I can focus and speak to primarily the, the challenges that I've experienced. Uh, I was well into a, a career that I loved and that I had chosen for well over a decade of coaching college basketball. And, and I touched on briefly before all the moves we started to go through, uh, to the point where I think we moved six times in seven years and two of them were overseas with Hawaii and Germany. And so you can imagine if you're in a very niche profession, uh, it becomes more difficult to to find that employment. And so you take whatever is available. So if you're a college basketball coach, specifically women's college basketball coach in Hawaii, California, Kansas, Kentucky, Germany, there has to be a job open, right? And so most staffs only have three or four people. So you have to take whatever is available. And so when I moved New York to Hawaii, I got, I was able to get a job at University of Hawaii and I was thrilled just to be able to stay in my profession. But one day I sat back and I was like, Holy smokes, that's a massive pay cut I just took. Uh, and I've taken a, a huge step back, you know, kind of where you are on the coaching ranks. And then we moved to California, uh, similar situation, although that was one of the greatest learning experiences I've had. There's a, a, a great coach out there, Renee Jimenez. She was young at the time, maybe 26 years old, uh, and just really some learned some great leadership principles from her. And it, it was a pleasure to watch her lead and grow and uh, develop her team. But again, taking a step backwards in career. And so we went through this iterative process every move, and I was becoming more and more frustrated um, in my lack of opportunity. Uh, and also at one point, you know, we eventually had three kids under four um, and all of the challenges that go with that when you want to be in a career um, and you want to be moving forward and you want to be on par with your peers and it, it, the opportunity wasn't there. Um, so certainly when we moved from Germany to D.C., I really felt like it was time to make a career change. Um, and so my career change was going to be, I thought that I would see if I couldn't find my way into to the front office of the Washington Wizards, which is an NBA team um, here in D.C. Um, obviously, that, that, <laughs> that didn't pan out. And the contact I had reached out to at the time was then working at Hiring Our Heroes. And she said, I, I can't help you with that, but uh, we have a job here. Would you be interested in applying? Um, and I did, and I, I won the job and, um, was excited to go experience something different. Um, but what was unique and special was that I was going to be able to take my challenges, my experiences and go to work, uh, and work to, to solve those challenges. Uh, so it's not often that we are presented with an opportunity to be part of solutions to challenges that are very much so not just a part of my experiences, but when I look left and right happening to military spouses all over the country and all over the world. And when you're 90, a population that's 92% female, and we're watching this across America right now, where 2.2 million uh, women have left the workforce since last February, uh, not only are we creating solutions for military spouses, but long-term we're building the blueprint of success 
um, for American women at large. Everyone, thank you so much for having me today on Medal of Honor podcast. I'm fired up to be here. My name is Liz O'Brien. Uh, I'm CEO of Freedom Learning Group, uh, a content curriculum company that has a fantastic social mission of putting veterans and military spouses to work through upskilling. Um, and I've been part of the military community for about 15 years now, um, going back to, gosh, I, I guess, uh, Oh, maybe 2003 when I was coaching college basketball at West Point. Uh, and I happened to meet my, my partner there, uh, who was then in the army and still is in the army. Um, and began our, our journey from there. So, um, he was moving to Hawaii and, oh, initially he was moving to Missouri and I declined that opportunity to, to move to Missouri. Uh, and then when he came back and said, I'm moving to Hawaii, I thought, well, now Hawaii might not be a bad place to coach college basketball and jumped on a plane and uh, off I went. Uh, and that's really where I, I had my eye opening experience about um, challenges military spouses experience uh, during multiple moves and employment um, and how we as military families really struggle to achieve dual income status that places us on an equitable level with our other American families. Um, and it's where I began my journey into workforce development and creating opportunities for military spouses and veterans. He is probably been in a, almost 18 years now. Did have friends stationed there. So it was like, hey, I'm going to come and visit you. So this <laughs> is where you find out which families and friends are truly dedicated to being family members and friends. Everybody comes to Hawaii. We then moved to um, Monterey, California. Everybody came there. Then we went to, oh, oh gosh, where we go? Uh, Kansas and Kentucky. Nobody came to visit us there except my sister. So that's where we found out <laughs> who really cares. And then we went to Germany and D.C. So lots of visitors in Germany, some in D.C. But that Kansas, Kentucky stint, that's where we were able to differentiate who was in it to love us. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, you know, I was stationed at Fort Knox, Kentucky twice. And then I had a contracting job that took me to Fort Knox for two years. And so those people who did not go visit you in Kentucky, um, I hate to say this, but I don't blame them. I wouldn't want to visit there <laughs> if I didn't have to. Yeah. Well, so, you know, the best part about the military is you make great friends wherever you go. So whether it was Fort Knox, Kentucky, or Leavenworth, Kansas, uh, or Hawaii, we came out of it with, with some fantastic relationships. The bond in the military community, so. Yeah, it's special. It is what it it's is. unique. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's a privilege, right? It's something that not all Americans get to um, experience. And so I think it's fantastic. Also, anytime we can wrap our arms around civilians in our communities that we're moving through and uh, establish great relationships and help bridge that military-civilian divide that exists, um, really just uh, helps establish a stronger community overall. Uh, and then helps those folks understand what what are what challenges we're we're experiencing, uh, whether you're military child, uh, service member, uh, partner, or spouse. So, what are some of those challenges that you have experienced as a spouse? Um, yeah, so I, I would say there's certainly um, unique challenges that all partners of service members experience. 
uh, on any given day. Um, I can focus and speak to primarily the the challenges that I've experienced. Uh, I was well into a, a career that I loved and that I had chosen for well over a decade of coaching college basketball. And, and I touched on briefly before all the moves we started to go through uh, to the point where I think we moved six times in seven years and two of them were overseas with Hawaii and Germany. And so you can imagine if you're in a very niche profession, uh, it becomes more difficult to to find that employment. And so you take whatever is available. So if you're a college basketball coach, specifically women's college basketball coach in Hawaii, California, Kansas, Kentucky, Germany, there has to be a job open, right? And so most staffs only have three or four people. So you have to take whatever is available. And so when I moved New York to Hawaii, I, got, I was able to get a job at University of Hawaii and I was thrilled just to be able to stay in my profession. But one day I sat back and I was like, holy smokes, that's a massive pay cut I just took. Uh, and I've taken a, a huge step back, you know, kind of where you are on the coaching ranks. And then we moved to California, uh, similar situation, although that was one of the greatest learning experiences I've had. There's a, a, a great coach out there, Renee Jimenez. She was young at the time, maybe 26 years old, uh, and just really some learned some great leadership principles from her. And it, it was a pleasure to watch her lead and grow and uh, develop her team. But again, taking a step backwards in career. And so we went through this iterative process, every move, and I was becoming more and more frustrated um, in my lack of opportunity. Uh, and also at one point, you know, we eventually had three kids under four um, and all of the challenges that go with that when you want to be in a career um, and you want to be moving forward and you want to be on par with your peers and it, it, the opportunity wasn't there. Um, so certainly when we moved from Germany to DC, I really felt like it was time to make a career change. Um, and so my career change was going to be, I thought that I would see if I couldn't find my way into to the front office of the Washington Wizards, which is an NBA team um, here in DC. Um, obviously that, that, <laughs> that didn't pan out. And the contact I had reached out to at the time was then working at Hiring Our Heroes. And she said, I, I can't help you with that, but uh, we have a job here. Would you be interested in applying? Um, and I did, and I, I won the job and, um, was excited to go experience something different. Um, but what was unique and special was that I was going to be able to take my challenges, my experiences and go to work, uh, and work to, to solve those challenges. Uh, so it's not often that we are presented with an opportunity to be part of solutions to challenges that are very much so not just a part of my experiences, but when I look left and right happening to military spouses all over the country and all over the world. And when you're 90, a population that's 92% female, and we're watching this across America right now, where 2.2 million uh, women have left the workforce since last February, uh, not only are we creating solutions for military spouses, but long-term we're building the blueprint of success um, for American women at large. Before Elizabeth O'Brien became the chief executive officer of the Freedom Learning Group, she could be found on the basketball court. Not only did she play in school, but she also found herself on the coaching staff at the college level from USC Aiken in the late 1990s to Hofstra University and West Point, both located in New York, followed by coaching at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. Uh, yeah. Um, so I, I went to college at Hofstra University um, and I played uh, women's soccer and basketball there um, for, for the time that I was there. And it was a tremendous learning experience. I loved it. Uh, learned a lot about what I wanted to do and not do, um, but I ultimately knew 
uh, at a fairly young age that I wanted to be a college basketball coach. So those years in college when other people were going out and getting internships in finance or or medicine, uh, I was spending my summers pushing into different basketball camps around the country and building a network and relationship to set me up for the future. That's right. But this talks to lessons that set you up for success in life long term, right? Like, so there, I've always been adamant that I want my children to play and participate in sports through high school because there is a portion, a part of sports that you have to be uncomfortable on a daily basis. Um, and oftentimes, there's a, a level of uncomfortableness that you'll never again experience in life uh, unless you're maybe going to the armed services um, and are doing a lot of uh, uh, physical training out there preparing for whatever. Um, but that willingness to learn to be uncomfortable is really what I have found uh, sets people up for success in the future. So you asked, you know, touched a little bit on how does coaching prepare me for what I do today? Uh, one, that willingness to be uncomfortable, right? So I'm a, a recovering college basketball coach who pushed into the nonprofit world and now leads a for-profit organization. Um, but what have I taken through all of those pieces? It's the ability to build great teams, uh, the ability to get the most out of people, the ability to get folks to step outside comfort zones and push forward, uh, and really how to leverage small teams around the world. Uh, because you, you build great small teams and you put them to work and, and hire for people to be smarter than you in that lane of business. Uh, and that's really kind of what uh, basketball is, right? Like a, a coach builds a team and everybody understands their role from the point guard all the way on up to the, to, the, to the five and then to the people that are on the bench and everybody understands their role and you put them out there and the expectation is for the team to execute based on their knowledge set, their preparation, and their their willingness to compete. And that's really what we bring to work every day at Freedom Learning Group, right? All of those pieces of really smart people coming to work, a lot of highly motivated people, and ultimately these teams working around the globe to create an outstanding product for our clients without me having to drive them on a daily basis because we've been really intentional about how we hire and how we put on the who we put on the team. Um, and so those are all lessons learned from uh, my time playing and then my time coaching. Um, so I think it's important for folks to understand also whatever you're doing, uh, what you are today, at some point you're going to be recovering from that, right? And so lots we talk to a lot of transitioning service members, a lot of military spouses, almost every, everybody in this day and age is is recovering from something else. This isn't the day and age where like my dad went to work for the New York phone company for 35 years uh, and stayed there. Right. People are consistently changing jobs, changing careers, stretching themselves. Um, and so if you come with an attitude of a willingness to work, to be humble, to be creative, work across teams, there's probably going to be a spot for you somewhere. She started the Freedom Learning Group to help veterans and military spouses secure employment in the Salesforce ecosystem during uncertain times. Veteran unemployment rate is about 2x higher than the previous year. Here's what Salesforce Military and its partners are doing to help open new career paths in tech, guiding the military community through the last mile to successful employment. Freedom Learning Group, America's leading educational courseware and services provider, powered by a global instructional design team of military spouses and veterans with advanced subject matter expertise. Our mission, Freedom Learning Group, LLC, FLG was founded on the unprecedented mission to provide career opportunities to underemployed military spouses, veterans, and their family members, empowering them to sustain relevance in their respective fields. Absolutely. And and so 
Um, I think uh, as leaders of companies, organizations, nonprofits, small business, wherever you are in life, everybody can view themselves as a leader in some capacity. Uh, and for folks that you are working with or working for you uh, or across an enterprise, creating an environment. Listen, we, we all have res fiscal responsibilities when we're running a company, right? We, we have to meet certain goals and metrics, how we get there, et cetera, has to be responsible. But when you empower people to come to the table with uh, creative ideas, innovation, right? For us, we're always trying to figure out what the future of work is, how we can help facilitate getting people back into the workforce. And, and we can't do that in an environment where fear of failure exists. Um, I, I know that it's probably the most absurd baseline, but I, I really feel like on any given day, we can fix any challenge because for us, we're, we're very fortunate, right? Like we're, we're not at war. So nobody, at Freedom Learning Group is nobody's shot, nobody's dying, nobody's bleeding on a given day, right? And so for us, if we put something forward and it doesn't work, we can bring our brain trust back in, talk through solutions and get to what right looks like. So creating a culture where truly innovation is embraced uh, and, and the power of, uh, uh, of uh, groupthink um, and then coming forward and, and correcting, right? So if it's, if we go straight and it doesn't work and we have to go a little bit right, let's make that happen. Let's have that open, honest conversation. Uh, but you can't do that if that environment's not created from, from the top down. FLG specializes in educational content development, assessment writing, accessibility compliance, ADA slash 508 accessibility compliance, accuracy review, high quality education training solutions, and organizational and strategy development. FLG recently celebrated hiring over 280 military spouses or veterans. Freedom Learning Group is proud to be a veteran-owned small business, VOSB, specializing in educational content development, ADA-slash-Section 508 Accessibility Compliance, and Accuracy Review. Yeah, I think you'll find the great ones in life or, or people in theory who have risen to the, the height of success professionally are, are those individuals that remain hungry and humble. Um, and so I, they don't get there accidentally. They get there because they remain humble. They continue to work. Um, but this really also goes to the fact that I believe we can all create change, right? In our whatever our little intersection of in community where we live we are somebody within that community uh, that can impact change. And, and it doesn't mean we have to change the entire world. We just have to leave a mark for good with the people that we interact with on a daily basis. So if it's coaching little kids soccer or volunteering at church or working at a food bank, but we all should have the opportunity to create change for somebody in our life and leave them in a better place than when we started. So we don't always require this big, massive social platform. We just need to take a step back and see how we can impact change in our own communities. If you didn't have to pay for a billboard sign, right, uh, and you could have a message on this billboard, what would your message to everybody be? That I don't have to pay for it. Well, so I have one for me. Um, you know, I have a tattoo that says I am the storm. Uh, and that's just a, a very gentle reminder for me that every day, uh, you know, I, I've certainly in the course of my career received tons of pushback, you know, often feel like 
I, I have to fight, uh, you know, for every inch that I win. I've, I've probably spent days and, and months fighting to, to create that, that incremental change for military spouses to go to work and that lots of folks don't like somebody that comes in the room and, and create and forces change to happen. Um, and so for me, you know, that, for me, that's, that's my billboard. I am the storm on any given day. But I think for, uh, if I had one to, to put up, uh, at an exit, um, I don't know if you've ever read, I'm trying to remember the, the whole line of it, but, uh, uh, Mary Oliver's poem, The Summer Day. And it, I think the, I'm trying to remember the quote properly, but it's, tell me what is your plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Right. Because I think so often we get caught up in our day to day. Um, parts of life. We're all busy. We're all going somewhere. We all have something to do, but ultimately we just have that one wild and precious life. And so for all of us at any given time, right, what does wild mean to you? For me, it's one thing. For you, it's another thing, but that our life is ultimately precious and we only have one. So I, I can look it up, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a summer day and it's tell me what is your, what is your plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Or that, that line from the poem, because what my life is today isn't what my life was when I was 20 or 10, right? And it's always changing. And how do we embrace that change? And I know for me, ultimately, I want my my life to have a little bit of an edge to it and a little bit of wildness and, and a little bit of I love to travel. I love to experience. I love to meet different cultures. I love to learn about people. Uh, and so if we don't, if I don't always incorporate that wild piece into what I'm doing, uh, then I'm not honoring my precious life. Share share a little bit about that because that's another time where you are accustomed to having both of you at home, and now sure. you're still married, but he's gone, and so you have to pick up the slack that he was doing. What yeah. is that like? And so this goes into building redundant systems of support before you need them, right? Uh, we know that military childcare is the gold standard across America, right? The sliding scale system based on how much you're earning, the way caretakers are vetted in the CDCs. However, it's not accessible, right? So you think about Norfolk, San Antonio, uh, San Diego, and Hawaii, massive, massive waiting lists. Um, and so, you know, uh, when we had our, our first child, I, I lived, we lived in Hawaii. Uh, my, my partner was deployed for 15 months Right. He left. I was pregnant. He came home. I, I, I think our daughter was 10 months old. Um, I was I had my first college head coaching job uh, and it was not in an ideal situation uh, where we were limited on gym space when we could be there. So we used to practice at uh, 530 in the morning, uh, which meant that uh, there wasn't a daycare anywhere that I was going to be able to, from Eva Beach, leave her at daycare at 4.30 in the morning and get all the way to downtown Honolulu, run practice, get back to get her. So, you know, uh, uh, I was really fortunate that I put her in the baby Bjorn and she'd come to practice with me and then she'd get on the plane and travel for our trip. So I'm pretty sure she had her, her first plane trip when she was two weeks old. Uh, is this ideal? Is it helpful? Is it healthy? No. Should I have been back at work five days after <laughs> After having a child and giving birth, absolutely not. But I worked for uh, a, a place where um, I felt like I could. I felt like it would be perceived as weakness if I said I'm going to actually take maternity leave, right? And so I, I didn't have a partner that was at home. We were in Hawaii with uh, not a lot of, of support for childcare. I was really fortunate. I had a, a fantastic 
assistant coach, Lisa Russell, who was an Army veteran um, and was also probably equally pregnant. And she was a, a great uh, form of support. And I could really lean and depend on her. But that child came with me from, from five days old. She was going to practice. Uh, not an ideal situation. Uh, but this goes into building redundant systems of support before you need them. And I didn't know that then, right? I didn't know what I didn't know, but I know it now, uh, certainly. Uh, so I can tell you when I, when I went to work in DC, uh, and I was making 50 or $55,000, we had three children. Uh, my partner was equally engaged, even though he wasn't, uh, deployed. I, I think we went through a series where he was in 18 countries in three months and I was in 22 states. And so it meant our sitter was pretty much raising our, our kids. And at the time they were maybe three, five and seven. Uh, is it ideal? No, but we felt like we were committed to this because there was only a certain amount of time the country was really going to be listening to the challenges around spouse employment before veteran employment skyrocketed again, or who knew that there was a pandemic coming, right? And that all Americans would, would kind of be uh, all tremendously unemployed and facing challenges. What did that mean? It meant that uh, between the contributions I was making to my 401k, to my train and commuting expenses, uh, to, uh, you know, we were equally splitting childcare. I wasn't taking home any money, right? But I had built in a system where I could go do those things, uh, and create opportunity for promotion, uh, because we were investing in childcare and I could do it without being stressed about who was taking care of my children. All of that being said, I know that we were fortunate to be able to allocate the majority of funds towards that. Not every not every household is like that. Some people are at work because they have to put food on the table and diapers on their kids. Uh, and these are, are different seasons of our life. Um, but, you know, there are great um, uh, opportunities out there, uh, whether you're putting uh, your child in off installation child care or bringing somebody into your house or sharing a nanny or... <laughs> bringing a grandparent to live with you, but it has to be a discussion between the two people who the children belong to, uh, and there has to be equal commitment. Uh, and as many times as I've picked up our children, <laughs> my partner has spent just as much time, uh, you know, making sure they're at practices, making sure that they have clothes to return to school, taking them shoe shopping, right? This isn't a, this is uh, your job, this is my job. It's, it's equal. And at different times, we're just high fiving each other and we willingly take on whatever needs to be done for our family to be successful on that given day. I always come back to my grandparents and the sacrifices that they made so I could have a better future. Uh, and, and I take that, that handoff very seriously and to heart. Uh, and Coach K, who probably doesn't even know he had an influence on me, but the pieces that, that stick from those, those times of, of sweating it out in card gym and on the outdoor basketball courts. Uh, and my kids. You know, it, just as I think back over the, the course of my life, you know, if you're, you're grouping it by uh, decades that are broken up, I just come back to my grandparents and uh, my experiences at Duke camp and, and my children. And I'm sure maybe 10 years from now, there'll be somebody else or something, some other event that's layered in there. But, you know, there, there are also events coupled with those folks and those, those interactions that kind of go hand in hand. You know, the I remember sitting in, in my car and, uh, 
in the early 90s as, as we were going to war and I was getting ready to go into a, a St. John's basketball game. Uh, and for me, that was a life-changing event. I hadn't really before. I was fortunate enough to, to not have to think about the military and the sacrifices people were making. Uh, and I think that's when our country, at least for my generation, was becoming more keenly aware of sacrifices. And then, um, you know, coupled with 9-11, certainly being on Long Island at, and at Hofstra University, and my brother was, uh, was in the F, or still is in the FDNY. Uh, and all the, and the impact that came from that day that's lasted generations now. And, and we have kids and that don't know a country not at war. Um, you know, so those, those life changing events coupled with, uh, people that come in and out of your life and the impact that they leave. Um, and sometimes we don't even realize that the events that we're, uh, a part of are influencing our decision making for years to come. Um, but for me, some of those those life events um, are really what has caused me to take a step back and say we have to serve, we have to give back to our our communities uh, and our country, um, and just taking those small pieces and building on them uh, and making sure that we're I'm contributing to the success of future generations. Um, I, I think in times of loss, especially when I think back to 9-11 and, and where we lost some some great friends, the part I took from it was that I, I had to live each day after that with intentionality and not letting days pass. You know, everything is certainly whatever folks see on the outside, everything isn't sunshine and, and rainbows and unicorns, uh, certainly. Uh, and I think everybody's carrying something somewhere. But how can I create a, a better environment when I'm faced with those challenges? You know, so how do I build the systems around me so that when I'm faced with challenges or darkness or uh, something terrible happening, that I've already built those systems of support around me so that I don't get stuck and, and have people to lean on? And I think being uh, I have a very small circle because I know I'm a unique personality. I know I'm intense. I know I have a lot of energy. I am not for everybody. I know that I'm pretty direct with a lot of folks. And so that naturally makes my circle much smaller uh, than, say, somebody who's out there and, and really lively and wraps their arms around everybody. And it doesn't mean I don't have space for folks. Uh, it just means that I know that I'm not a fit for, for everybody. So I keep that circle small. But that circle uh, is unbelievably powerful, right? I can call so-and-so on every, any given day and know that I'm going to have a shoulder to lean on. Um, and so certainly there are periods of challenges uh, I think we all go through in life, whether it's loss or heartbreak uh, or sexual assault, right? Like there, But who do we surround ourselves with in, on any given day? And, and I wasn't always like this, right? Sometimes things come with maturity and life experiences where you realize that you have to build a solid network around you. Uh, so that you have a great source of energy and support to lean on and to to pull you out of the house and, and get you on a hike or on a run or whatever it is that speaks your language to make sure that you're you're not sitting home alone. Um, but I, I would say loss of friends is uh, was certainly a, a turning point where I realized I had to do more in life and that sitting home and feeling sad or sorry wasn't going to be the way that I honored memories. Many people interpret that directness as a lack of heart or a lack of caring, and it's not. It's because I care that I'm going to be upfront and honest with you and say, hey, look, 
for me, certainly uh, periods of growth, right? So when you coach college basketball, you're or any sport, I guess you're used to communicating in short messaging, right? Because you only have an instant to get a message across before offense is transitioning to defense and back. When you when I transitioned into corporate America, <laughs> you know, I, I remember getting some very direct feedback like your messaging is too short, you're offending people, there's a lot of hurt feelings. And and it wasn't anything that I, I was doing to be mean. It was just, you know, I, I wasn't going to put 47 sentences to tell people to go straight to the door, make a left and go down the stairs, right? Like, it's just, mm-hmm. uh, but also taking that information and figuring out how I could bet how I could grow uh, and create a, a more warm environment uh, around that messaging. I'm still never going to speak in in a, a ton of uh, sentences when I need something done or, or write a book uh, in an email, uh, but being aware of where I can improve certainly as a, a leader. Uh, and I always appreciated that direct feedback. So. Um, I'll start uh, with Freedom Learning Group. So we are a for-profit organization. Uh, we're contracted by publishers, by universities in corporate America to produce content and curriculum. Uh, what does that mean even for folks that are currently serving to transitioning service members? We're hiring subject matter experts uh, on any given day. So, uh, you know, we're working on projects right now that run the gamut from writing curriculum uh, around hot welders and crane operators uh, all the way on up to uh, writing calculus for textbooks. Um, so I'd say jump over to freedomlearninggroup.com, go to our careers page and see what jobs we have posted. It changes any given day. So we are project-based work. So even if you're serving, if you have free time and you get permission, you can do work for us and start building your resume for transition. Uh, if you have already transitioned, we're a great stop as well. Um for ready transition service members, um, because you can do this work while you're searching for other full-time work and you can still stay with us even after you find that work as long as you have the hours to allocate. We have folks that work on projects for us five hours a week to folks that work on projects for 40 hours a week. So think about us as government contractors, that model where we go out and win work, but we're doing it on the commercial side. Um, so, you know, we, we are a for-profit organization, uh, you know, we're, we're not nonprofit, so we're not doing placements and resume building and helping folks with that. Uh, we can actually put you to work, uh, which I, I think is fantastic. And the same goes for any military spouses that are listening. We've got folks all over the globe working. I was on a call the other day. Somebody was in Guam. Somebody was in France. Somebody was in California, all on the call. Um, so, you know, anybody can go to work on any given day. As for my my two cents for military spouses, you have to be your most fierce advocate, whether it's inside your house or external, whatever it is that you want to accomplish with your life. If you don't speak truth to power, how the heck is anybody going to know? If you want to be a college basketball coach, sit down and tell your partner. You want to be a college basketball coach, ask somebody to introduce you to five people. You know, you have to be an advocate. If you want to be a stay-at-home spouse, go for it. Just make sure that you have spoken your truth. Nobody will ever be as powerful an advocate for you as you can be for yourself. And so pick up that phone, connect with somebody on LinkedIn, make your asks very intentional uh, so that somebody has to act on the ask that you've made. So be your own best advocate. Thank you. Have a nice day. Thank you. And have a nice day.